don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on the Social Minds Podcast. If it doesn't inspire you, you're in the wrong business. We're joined by James Gregson, Creative Director of Digital at Lego for the Americas region, to talk all things creativity and how this powerhouse of a brand finds value in social platforms. Yes, we've been wanting to get Lego on the podcast for a while now, and as you can probably imagine, our conversation with James didn't disappoint. This episode really was filled with highlights, including bringing joy and entertainment to audiences during the pandemic, the magic of user-generated Lego builds, and why you might be in the wrong business if you don't embrace constant social updates. The world is diverse, opinions are diverse, therefore, you know, your creative output should be diverse. All this and more, coming up. How does Lego use social media to surprise, delight and engage fans of all ages? That's a big, juicy question. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, You know, so Lego obviously uses a lot of distribution channels to uh, get their message out there, whether that be a product launch, whether that be sort of any piece of communication, marketing, communication information. You know, like a lot of brands, social media is, is and has been and I think always will be at the forefront of that consumer engagement opportunity, right? So it's the quickest... Uh, way to get a message out there. It's a, in some cases, it's the most effective way. It's certainly also in some cases the cheapest way, though that isn't always the most effective use of social media. You know, I think if you look at you know our approach to uh, product launches is a very basic one for high affinity fans, those who are following us um, across our sort of primary social channels. It is the best place to receive uh, information about our our latest product line, right? That is the most simple use uh, and the most obvious use. Um, you know, so we're we're very purposeful about how we use those channels to either tease exciting new products and launch exciting new products as well. And then, you know, from uh, an engagement standpoint, uh, you know, the, the most traditional engagement is obviously uh, from a customer service standpoint, um, you know, that traditional missing piece uh, piece of engagement. Um, I don't know what the numbers are, but while we try to have all the pieces in every set, um, that is a traditional sort of engagement uh, opportunity that happens across mostly Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you know, and our customer service team is really, really strong at, at using you know one-to-one engagement to, to, to deliver sort of first-class um, customer service. You know, and then from the, the delight standpoint, you know, I think we're very lucky, and I'm very lucky to be part of a brand that you know has a significant heritage uh, behind it right a heritage of quality it, it is a genuinely world-renowned loved brand um right so that opportunity to delight is not few and far between you know it, it's plentiful um you know and in most cases we are saying no to sort of those surprising engagement opportunities you know in other cases you know we're just making sure that we're really purposeful about what that surprising place that Lego can show up you know and you can look at that from the example of uh, the Tesla Cybertruck post that originated out of our team in APAC you know it's that traditional news uh, newsroom type setup where we're creating content in reaction to you know trends that are important to the Lego universe so 
yeah, I think that's probably the the, the best summary of, of how we surprise, delight, and engage fans. <laughs> and I mean, the operative word there as well being of all ages, because I'm I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners would be as well, to know what demographics Lego is trying to reach with social. And I guess because it does appeal to so many different age groups, how you guys tailor your online activity to reach those different ages. Yeah, well, there is no question, right, that, um, you know, social channels are 13 plus, right? So we consider a lot of that, a lot of all of our communication uh, across social to that 13 plus community. I think you can break down our audiences across uh, adults, uh, parents, shoppers. Um, that's probably the primary sort of high level way of uh, of breaking that down. And each of those have, you know, subsections uh, below them. Um, but we really try and deliver content and communication to those sort of three different types of audiences. Because while they sound similar and while they might have an overlap, there are products that are specifically for adults versus parents, right? And you look at those, you know, high price point uh, sets, um, you know, and, you know, thousands and thousands of piece sets, those are not going to be for, uh, parents and what we deem as parents of, of younger kids. Um, and they may be for shoppers, although typically we, uh, deem shoppers those that are buying sets for younger kids. And then adults, we're looking at those, uh, adults, maybe like the sets behind me, um, where we are, you know, building them for collecting purposes, um, and maybe not sharing them with my three kids at home. <laughs> and naturally, some social platforms we've, we've discussed age restrictions already but there's also restrictions sometimes in place around marketing to children how do you do it in a valuable way like for example via their parents yeah i mean i think you know you've got to be very very specific about how we're communicating uh, and, and what we're communicating you know and by that i think you know we've got specific copa compliant all pre-moderated platforms that are dedicated to kids, um, whether that's, uh, you know, some areas of lego.com or other areas of, you know, sort of our, our digital ecosystem, like Lego Life, for example, or video as well, um, which is our, our new sort of AR based, uh, product experience. So there are those specific kid friendly environments so you know that, that's sort of the, the way and the setup that we sort of try and deliver that kid safe content i think when we're talking about you know channels like youtube or channels like facebook you know we've made for youtube specifically right we've made a very strong position to call out that channel as a kids uh channel right so all the features that youtube has um enabled to make it a kid safe environment we're really uh in support of that so there's no commenting uh there's a lot of you know, marketing features that we have purposely turned off to ensure that it is a uh, compliant and safe experience for kids to consume content. You know, conversely on, on Facebook and Pinterest, it's different. You know, we, we see that as a, as an adult platform. And so the, the content that is delivered and communicated on there is, is for adults and not for kids. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, what would you say for any brands listening whose audience is under that 13 age range? Do you think there is like, based on what you guys have been able to do, still value in using social channels if that is your primary audience? There is value. I mean, I think it depends on the scale of your budget like a lot of things you know i've always <laughs> i always get often get that question of you know what's one channel that you would expect would you recommend for a startup brand in the consumer space to look to try and engage um right i think it, it, it's slightly different in the sense that you know you want 
two, target the audiences uh, that one, have the buying power and two, have the influence, right? I think those are sometimes not the same audiences, <laughs> right, as we know. Um, but but frankly, the safe and compliant way to go about that is to be targeting uh, shoppers uh, and, and buyers, parents on across social with those sort of channels and naturally i don't think anybody would disagree that you know lego is and has been named one of the world's most powerful brands so how can social media benefit lego and its marketing would you say what real benefits you get from social media that you maybe don't get from other marketing channels yeah i mean speed to market it's probably the, the most obvious one right and you can look at that as a an example that was seen in our let's build together campaign that kicked off in april last year right um when the the nasty p word kicked off i don't want to say it i'll say it pandemic um we and we were all sort of stuck at home you know we felt we had a a really strong responsibility as a brand to be there for everybody you know not just existing customers or fans of ours but everyone you know everyone was looking for say engagement opportunities every everyone stuck at home was looking for stuff to do right parents adults kids we were all looking for stuff to do that wasn't work and after a while honestly wasn't tv Right. You know, streaming as much as I can binge watch a good TV show like the best of them. You know, so we kicked off a, we received a, a brief from our, uh, our global counterparts talking, you know, speaking to that insight and reacted to it within 72 hours. Um, right. When all of our production vendors were turning things off and, and not able to deliver on things because of all the obvious uh, safety protocols and all of our media distribution opportunities were being switched off for all the other obvious reasons. You know, we were able to react within 72 hours. Now we weren't creating brand new content within 72 hours, but within a week we were, but within that 72 hour timeframe, we were mining all of our historical content that could fit within the creative brief and deliver on the strategy and, you know, delivered a series of content for the next, I think it was eight weeks, um, you know, all across entertainment, right? So it was everything from building challenges to live streams with Lego designers uh, to, you know, 24-7 live streams on YouTube, sort of a, a series of content that was there not to drive commercial momentum, but to engage our fans. So I think for us, that was a really pivotal moment or for me within the Lego organization, seeing the entire marketing organization galvanize themselves across what social media could deliver, right? Which was high levels of engagement in a, you know, very, very quick turnaround. You know, none of this content really cost us a huge amount of money. You know, and some of it was completely free. We were just repurposing it and and you know rewording it and delivering it in a new context. So it was it was different in that sense. And I think that's a real value of social. I think of the other, you know, flip side of that is um you know it's a blessing and a curse right but social is the front lines of customer engagement right and you could look at last year as that being a really good and bad opportunity depending on what side of the fence you are you know so i think you have to look at it as a good opportunity but what you also have to do is obviously make sure that you're doing things appropriately correctly to ensure you're not you know adding fuel to a fire you're listening to the social minds podcast with james gregson from lego so far we've covered the differences in marketing to parents and lego fanatics turning around a major content strategy in just 72 hours and what lego gets from social that it doesn't get from other channels Still to come, James reveals how LEGO takes UGC to its maximum potential with crowdsourced products for LEGO ideas and even hiring some of their most ambitious builders. Plus, we discuss how LEGO keeps up with constant change and its approach to testing and learning. 
I think it's nice personally to see such a global brand doing such good things with it. And I think one other thing that you guys have been able to do really well, I think, is use UGC, so user generated content, in really like a unique way. So I am, of course, talking about Lego ideas. And where most people just source content that comes in from different places, you guys created a whole activation, a whole movement around it. And that's been really massive. So please, can you tell us a little bit about that and how much of your creativity is inspired by your customers? Yeah, really good question. I mean, I think it, we'll get to what Lego ideas, but I would say there are probably maybe one or two categories, you know, maybe food could be the only other category that I think has as strong UGC potential as, as we do, right? So I'll raise my hand and say, we are so lucky. <laughs> because it makes my job and uh, my team's job uh, incredibly easy because we just have an incredible library of user-generated content that you know is just in some cases stronger than ours and we need to acknowledge that uh, celebrate it um, and appreciate it right so i think that was probably the origination behind something like lego ideas you know which is our crowdsourced product platform the numbers are very simple and i can't speak to them in, in great detail because it's a completely different or it's a completely separate organization but you will see more lego ideas sets than you have before and that doesn't happen because the products aren't selling right that happens because the products are doing very well and selling really well so i think a pretty transactional and you know way to monetize something like ugc in a very obvious way but uh, and i can't speak to this as well as as a great deal but you know i know as a fact that our lego designers our product designers are inspired daily by RA Falls, the adult fans of Lego, uh, which is our, you know, sort of highest affinity fan group who are building amazing, incredible stuff on their own. And in fact, you know, we've hired some of the A Falls to become Lego designers in our, you know, headquarters in Billund, um, because they are that good, right? So I think there's obvious inspiration uh, and what we try to do by, you know, sharing user generated content on platforms like Instagram all the way through to, you know, the product innovation perspective. We are looking at fans, um, and how they use our products in new innovative ways to inspire new sets, new ways of building, et cetera, within our uh, current product assortment. What I find really clever about Lego Ideas is, correct me if I'm wrong, is it 10,000 supporters that someone has to get for their idea? Yes. But that's that's ingenious because you can get one person's idea that's essentially one piece of UGC content and turn it into a case where 10,000 people want that to happen, which just completely multiplies it. It's brilliant. But loads, like, you get some massive names getting involved. Yeah, and you know, it's it is uh you know it's it's super exciting because as you said, yeah, you're you're buying in, you're you're building in the customer base before you've even developed the product, right? So I think it, it's an ideal state of how you would want to do product development. And yeah, it's been it's been super successful. And I love a lot of the sets that we're creating out of ideas. So yeah. I do as well. Some of them are fantastic. I've got another question on that point, James, because it's something we've been speaking about a lot recently on this podcast, especially with Reddit, around this idea of fandom and, you know, the power of fans on social media. And it seems like you guys are really, really aware of that as a space in the fandom that surrounds Lego. Do you think it's maybe an area that's underutilized by some brands or that there's a real untapped potential there with fandom i think you know i think it's it, it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis i will say you know and i i've been on the flip side of the coin here right where you know i worked for a dental device business in marketing way back when and i used to sit at these conferences where you know these massive airlines were talking about their social media team of 60 people and i'm sitting here being like i'm not one person that delivers <laughs> on social media um yeah right so we, we we've been there so i think you know it, it's 
we're very lucky, right? So we're very lucky to have uh, the fandom is built, uh, has been built for, for years and years and years. I can't take any credit for that. Um, but yes, I think uh, it's about understanding how to leverage that fandom, uh, listen to that fandom, uh, you know, and you can look at our late, latest annou- announcement. Uh, I think it was yesterday. No, Friday, maybe celebrating or, or announcing LegoCon, uh, which, you know, uh, I can't go into too many details, but uh, it, it will be a celebration of, of everything Lego, um, you know, and really does speak to that, you know, that concept of fandom um right whether you talk about comic-con whether you talk about um you know all these other fandom type celebrations you know we're excited to see how this one pays off oh that sounds exciting there's one there's one thing i did want to ask as well getting back a little bit to creativity on social obviously we know just how fast these platforms change and i want to know from your guys perspective how you guys take that sort of change in your stride do you find that it inspires creativity or do you find that it makes it more challenging to keep having to come up with new ideas all of the above i think anyone that that's worked in social recently or for a long time understands the the, the constant state of change right you know digital disruption is the the buzzy term that everyone likes to use um you know and i think it it's slowed down a little bit maybe depending on who you speak to um you know but you know i think it it has if it doesn't inspire you you're in the wrong business Right. It's got to inspire you. It's got to inform the way you're delivering and creating things. Uh, but at the same time, I think if you continue to do things the same way and you see good results, I'm, you know, there's no reason to say stop doing that just because that's what you're seeing is trending. Right. I, I think it's very much about. Uh, again, I hate to use this term, but it is true within the social media world of, you know, testing and learning, um, you know, and the beauty within social media is that you can probably test and learn better than any other marketing vertical out there, uh, right? And testing and learning can be done at a singular post level. If that's what you set out to do before you do it, you know, just make sure that you're, you know, you have a clear expectation of what you're trying to learn. That's because we all know with social media analytics, you can very quickly water down that learning by, you know, looking into 18 other different analytic points rather than just click-through rate or engagement rate or number of shares, whatever it might be. It, it should inspire awesome creativity. I'm not going to say that it doesn't also make working in social media exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> We're going to come on to testing and learning more again, but I want to sort of touch on another point that's really relevant to this current question, James, which is all around the sort of agility and the space for agility as a sort of global brand. Because you mentioned it briefly about five minutes ago with the pandemic and how you were able to turn around that massive body of work within 72 hours. Is that something that you guys really sort of champion and focus on that agility because of social? Because I know for some global organizations that can be quite tricky, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to champion it, right? Because it's a key differentiator for social media, right? Is the, the the speed in which you can react. I think there's you know a litany of examples of where reacting for the sake of reacting is is not a, a strong strategy, right? There's got to be a very strong purpose behind why you're doing something. That's the most important thing, right? So it, you know, doing something for the sake of doing it is never a good thing in any. Uh, any walk of life, right? But but especially in social media, I think it's about making sure that there is a clear purpose and reason for responding to something or creating content in response to something rather than doing it just because it's a big deal. 
and lots of people are talking about it. For sure, for sure. And onto the testing and learning point as well. So it's obviously like a crucial part of what you do in terms of social strategy. But when it comes to, again, you know, globally recognized brand, is there a lot less room for failure? And how do you counteract that? How do you approach the testing and learning? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say some for good reasons, some for, you know, lesser good reasons. Um, over the last, you know, 18 months, I think, you know, that room for failure has shrunk I don't think shrunken is a word, um, but it, it has uh, minimized dramatically, right? So I think uh, there's a lot less space for screwing up. And I think that that's a good thing, right? So, you know, speak to is, you know, conscious marketing. Um, what's wrong? You know, there should be nothing wrong with overly conscious marketing. You know, yes, it's probably a little bit of work, but you'd much rather be sure what you're delivering is right from uh, a diverse perspective of individuals versus just going on your gut. Um, you know, we've seen, again, a handful of examples of when going with your gut is not probably the best way to uh, approach something. So I think, yes, there is definitely less room for failure, but I also think that's a, that's a, a positive evolution. I was just going to add that, you know, for being such a massive organization, like a massive brand on social, you guys will have several different account handles, different profiles that you have to manage any given time and create content for. I'm interested to hear how you guys collaborate between the different owners of those channels and how you're able to maximize the efficiency of your social content and make sure everything's sort of in line with each other's. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big question because I know it's a big job, but a big job for a big brand. It, this is why I have to job, ask. I, and I will say it's probably something that we could always improve on, right? We have, again, uh, you know, there were teams before me that have done a fantastic job of building up what I would call the channel architecture that does simplify things, right? I can speak to, I won't use a name, but there is a, a massive tech a brand um, that I am uh, friendly with, their head of social, you know, and when they joined, uh, they had 380 Facebook pages, right? So, you can imagine the editorial governance and the ROI on 380 Facebook pages is probably not strong, you know, and less, I'm just going to assume I'm making up numbers here, but less than 10% of posts probably got paid media, you know, so they were in their own little echo chamber speaking to themselves, probably, you know, so I think it, it's very much, we're very lucky in the fact that we have a very narrow channel architecture. I'm going to say on Instagram, there's probably less than five or six channels, I think. Technically, I could be wrong. Um, certainly five or six global global channels. And that makes things a lot easier from a general governance standpoint, right? And there's reasons why that's set up, not just for that ease standpoint, but also for remarketing and all those sort of standpoints is you're not creating a, a handful of different channels just to service a specific narrowed audience. So, you know, we do have sort of editorial style meetings, you know, at a global level across all regions uh, that happen on a monthly basis just to make sure that we've got oversight of, of what's happening when. Obviously, that changes often because it is the world of social, you know, and I think it's, it's about making sure that you've got the tools and the connection points, right? So one sort of surprising evolution of all of all of us going remote, you know, is the reliance of uh, digital communication and, you know, on top of the tool set that we use from a social publishing standpoint, so that there is that forcible connection of, oh, we're going to post this today because of, uh, and not this, you know, it's a different vehicle than email. And, you know, we all know that another email on top of another email tends to just get lost, you know, but whether it's through Teams or Slack or whatever uh, channel, Yammer, whatever channels you're using internally, I think that's been a really positive evolution to working remotely is that there's another communication stream, which sounds actually, as I said, 
a little anxiety ridden, but it is not, it's another way to get your message out there. Um, you know, when you're reacting and changing uh, plans for you know for good reason. And while we're sort of talking roughly about like the last twelve months or so, I'm just interested to know, James, as a kind of final point, if there are any key learnings that have stuck in mind, you know, as a major brand that you know perhaps that you could pass on that might be valuable to our audience at all levels. Yeah, and you know, key learning might sound silly, but I think diversity in opinions is super important something we're really relying on you know i think uh, there was a time where we used to be you know certainly from a creative standpoint we would be you know we didn't want to get too much input too much feedback from too many different people because it would water down the creativity this that you know you can no longer have that approach you know the world is diverse opinions are diverse therefore you know your creative output should be diverse um, right so it's incredibly important you know that we're getting diverse opinions to inform the creative output to ensure that you know we're delivering the best possible message so i think that's probably been the, the clearest learning that we really try and deliver on on a daily basis that's fascinating i think that's a really really good point to take away and makes total sense and especially given everything that's happened in the world the need for that like you said that diversity of opinions is a very you know sage lesson to take away for to all of our audience so we'll wrap it up there anyway james thank you ever so much for joining us and it's been a really interesting and conversation and a brand that we all love very much and i can't think nobody at all audience doesn't love so um thanks for your time yeah this is one we've been wanting to do for a while and one that people have been asking us about for ages so it's been a pleasure to finally be able to do this thank you so much for joining us no worries thank you so much Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 